The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. All right, welcome Disability Law Show. Good to have you back for this week. Uh, co-founding partner, Savan Tamarkin, is here, of course. Uh, Sanfiru Tamarkin LLP, the most positively reviewed disability law firm in the country. How about that? Reaching out, simple, anytime, 1-855-821-5900, help at disabilityrights.ca. And if you still have questions, still puzzled by all the things going on with LTD and uh, COVID-19 or other matters, ltdfaq.ca. How about that? ltdfaq.ca. Partner Albert Klein is with us as well, so we're going to get right into this. Fellas, you can reach out anytime to the guys at the aforementioned contact. I'll give it again throughout the show, so rest assured you will have lots of opportunity to... uh, Talk to the guys in more of a private conversation, if you wish. But, uh, Savannah, what's going on, pal? How are you? I'm good, John. Good to Excellent. be with you and with everyone. Yep. Um, let's just get right into it. So you mentioned ltdfaq.ca. It's a free website. We put it together uh, a few months back, and it's been accessed thousands of times from people across the country. So what people need to understand is that we are disability lawyers, but we deal specifically with a, a, a type of disability, meaning long-term disability. We don't deal with workers' compensation yeah. or uh, ODSP, government-type programs, uh, uh, you know, things like that. We don't deal with those. We deal specifically with long-term disability and short-term disability um, when you are denied or cut off payments from your insurance company. And the LTD FAQ website is a free website. If you go to it, you will see uh, some memos, very short memos that we prepared, again, free of charge for the public at large. And this is specifically for individuals because individuals, John, are the ones who are contacting us. They're the ones who are having difficulties with insurance companies. When insurance companies unjustly cut them off, LTD, when they deny their claims, people wanna know, should I appeal the cutoff or the denial? If the insurance company is forcing you or trying to force you to go back to work, should you do it? What are your options? Independent medical examinations. What if the insurance company says, hey, John, we want you to go to see one of our doctors. Do you have to go? How should you prepare for it? What Mm -hmm. should you do after? You know, what happens if there are employment issues, right? At the same time, you're having long-term disability because oftentimes people who contact us because of LTD issues also have issues with their employers, right? right? Because these individuals are disabled from working and employers don't understand, uh, you know, what they have to do vis-a-vis the employee from a human rights standpoint. So you have a lot of these kinds of topics, how to deal with difficult adjusters, CPP disability and how that interacts with long-term disability. So again, ltdfaq.ca, that's the website, it's free. And of course, you can always contact us. It costs nothing to speak to to me, to Albert, to any one of our lawyers, any one of our of, of our team members. We are here for you. We do this day in and day out, John. Not a day passes, no matter if I'm, I'm if if, <laughs> if I'm on vacation or not, or the weekends. Not a day passes that I don't get questions and I answer them, whether it's by phone or by email. So let me let me start off actually by uh, reading you a question that was posted on another website. Uh, that that we have that's free that's been running for a few years called mydisabilityquestions.com and that website by the way again is free people can post their questions about their disability issues uh, with their insurance companies and we answer those questions day in and day out here's the question from Joseph from Richmond Hill he writes I had a knee replacement uh, surgery in February of 2019 
Subsequently, it went sour and I experienced a ruptured patellar tendon. This led to numerous revision operations, leading to eventual repair, but with mobility restrictions. I had been with short-term disability and long-term disability via my school board and OTIP, which is the teacher's insurance plan in Ontario, Mm -hmm. and a return-to-work plan was initiated on September twentieth, uh, sorry, September two thousand and twenty, uh, uh, at one third of a full time schedule, and an expectation to be back full time by the spring of two thousand and twenty one this year. This did not pan out, as I remained at one third to the end of the school year in two thousand and twenty one. A two year LTD duration ended in August on August thirty first. So this just passed August thirty first, a few months right. back. Yep. A consultation with my surgeon determined that returning full time at this time was not recommended. OTIP determined that the two-year return to work window was closed and therefore a change of definition was required. I have now found out that it was denied and to apply for an appeal to the same OTIP uh, that denied me. And he says here, it seems to me that the doctor's recommendation was dismissed. Going forward, what recourse do I have? I have not taken the steps to file an appeal pending some advice. So I know this was a long email, but the gist of it is this. This guy has obviously tremendous issues with his knee, many surgeries. He's been you know, speaking with his doctors, doing the correct thing in terms of following his doctor's advice. Now we've helped many teachers uh, who have been who are insured by OTIP, uh, and just generally speaking, uh, these kinds of claims we resolve them. We resolve them. In fact, some of them have made the news. So if you Google our name, uh, you know you will see that. Uh, and you know what he's talking about here is that the insurance company has cut off his payments at that two-year mark. Now, why is that? Again, for some of our listeners, new listeners, perhaps let's explain this. To get LTD, long-term disability, under most policies for the first two years. Uh, you have to show medically with the help of your doctors or whoever's treating you that you cannot perform the essential tasks of your own occupation, your yep. own occupation. Beyond the two-year mark, to continue getting those benefits, you now have to demonstrate that you cannot perform the essential tasks of any occupation for which you are suited for by training, education, or experience. And typically, typically what we say to people is, look, if at the two-year mark you can Uh, do some kind of a job, work in an occupation that can pay you what you're getting from your LTD insurer, okay, let's say 60, Uh 65% of your pre-disability income, well, then the insurance company is likely correct in ending your payments. But this gentleman here is only able to work at a third of the capacity that he could before, uh, you know, the injury to his knee. And so clearly, clearly in this case, the insurance company, OTIP, should not have actually cut him off. They should not have stopped payments, especially especially since he's unable to return to work to that full-time capacity. But we see this time, uh, time and time again where insurance companies, uh, what they will do is they will tell you, look, you finish your two years with LTD, your benefits are coming to an end, you have to either retrain or find another job or do whatever you want, but we're not paying you beyond the two-year mark. Well, it doesn't work that way. Mm-hmm. And what people need to understand is that you have rights, and we can enforce those rights for you. Now, he mentions at the end, you know, he talks about that he hasn't initiated an appeal yet. Good, 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 because these appeals, when you get denied, when you get cut off disability benefits, and the insurance company invites you to appeal those uh, denials, it's nonsense. They're, baking you, they're basically making you uh, uh, run on a wheel like a hamster. 
because these appeals, you're essentially appealing, you're re-asking the exact same entity that denied you in the first place to reconsider their decision to stop your benefits. And that usually ends in frustration. It ends in people getting fed up with the system and walking away from the money that's owed to them. And so what's the alternative? The alternative is legal action. Because only through legal action can we force these insurance companies to comply with the laws. Only through legal action can we take control out of their hands and put it in the hands of a different body, you know, the judicial body. And I can tell you, John, that when we've done these kinds of claims, especially with OTIP, they've come to the table, they've resolved those claims on an equitable basis, but you have to, you have to take the steps uh, you know, to contact us so we can tell you what your options are. And in this case, with Joseph, we'll be able to help him. Albert, you've seen this before, right? I mean, you've dealt with OTIP quite a few times. Yeah, countless times. And absolutely, you should not be engaging in an appeal. It's just going to waste your time. And they want, they want you to be frustrated at the end of the day. That's, uh, that's really their goal. The longer that you are off without money, the more likely it is that you're going to have to do something like return to work. And that's what they're banking on. That's what they're always banking on. You know, it's it's interesting too because you know, it, luckily this uh, this person didn't appeal, as you said. They were smart not to uh, do that until they heard from you, Savannah or Albert. But right. um, isn't it quite often the same person who sent out the uh, the appeal letter is the same one who's going to review the thing again? So it's like, why are you asking the same person twice? They're not going to well, change their mind. You know, it's either them or a colleague of theirs in the next cubicle or the next <laughs> office. It's the same people. You know, yeah. yesterday I, I was doing a Q&A session for a group out of Calgary. We have offices in Alberta, BC, mm-hmm. and Ontario. And so yep. there's a group out of Calgary. Uh, and it was actually James Fireman and I that were doing it. And one of the participants there was asking us, well, what about the ombudsperson, right? Because every insurance company has an ombudsperson um, that is supposed to be handling these kinds of complaints. <laughs> and as soon as that person said that, James's response was, don't bother. Don't wow. bother. It, it, and here's the thing. You can, listen, you can try and do it. We have quite a few people that contact us, usually contact us, not when they're first denied their long-term disability, but when they are denied their first appeal and then their second appeal and then their third appeal, you know, by the time they get to the second or third appeal, honestly, if you had come to us at the beginning, at the outset, we would have already resolved the claim for you, most likely. So, you know, you have to understand the way that the system works. There is nothing in the policy that mandates that you go through the appeal process. Nothing. So you have to understand that when you are appealing those kinds of denials, you are essentially re-asking the exact same people, maybe not the same person per se, but the same group of people, the same company, to reconsider their decision to stop paying you. What incentive do they have to do so? None. Zero. They'll tell you, they'll tell you, no, 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 there are some cases where we do in fact reverse our position and we do in fact uh, allow those appeals. Yeah, those those do happen. I, I acknowledge that. I also acknowledge that some people win the lottery, right? It does <laughs> happen, right. or some people get hit by lightning. But the point is this, do you want to take that chance? You can, you can, like many people who contact us after they try time and time again. But here's what happens. If you waste your time with those appeals, not only could you potentially make a mistake by making an appeal in terms of the documentation, the information you give the insurance company, because they'll mm-hmm. use whatever they can against you, but also you are uh, just prolonging the process meaning the time frame between when your payments end and when we can actually get resolution for you. I'll give you an example, John. Let's say, for example, you were cut off disability January of this year, uh, you know, 2021, 
and you waited until now to contact us. Well, it's going to take myself or Albert, or a member of, you know, of, of our team, a few months to get a resolution for you. Maybe right. three months, six months, nine months. You, typically, we resolve these kinds of claims between six months to a year, typically. Okay? Gotcha. Uh, but, but had you contacted us back in January, we would have already probably resolved the case for you. Now, because you waited until now and you went through this charade of these appeals, you are now in a situation where potentially for a year and a half, you're going to be without income. Yeah. And that's very, very tough for many, many people, many, many families. Don't put yourself in that position. Let's take a short one, guys. Lots more to go. You want to reach out to Savan Robert, you can do so. Help at disabilityrights.ca. As uh, Savan mentioned the, off the top of the show, mydisabilityquestions.com. And always the phone call, 1-855-821-5900. Lots more disability law show is on the way. Hang on. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. All right, welcome back. Disability Law Show. Good to have you along today on the show. Savannah Tamarkin, co-founding partner, Sanfiru Tamarkin, LLP, and Albert Klein, partner uh, at the firm as well. Reaching out to the fellas and their uh, respective teams. Easy. Here's how you do it. 1-855-821-5900. Help at disabilityrights.ca. No need to be bashful with a one-on-one phone call with either Albert or Savannah. Remember their team. You can have a lengthy conversation, discuss your matter. Could be for yourself family member and someone who's dealing with an insurance company or been cut off or asked to appeal there's a million different things you can talk about and maybe causing you stress so at least reach out and have that phone call off the hop want to get to an email guys uh this one from viva uh a lengthy one so uh so tuck in here we go it says hi savannah and team i heard your show on the radio thank you for educating us canadians on our disability rights i've gone back and started listening to your previous episodes very informative uh, i live in toronto here's my situation I've been on LTD for mental health illnesses for the last two months. I've been approved until the end of this month. My adjuster hasn't uh, provided me with an update yet on the status update of slash their approval or denial going forward. I recently found out I'm pregnant at 13 weeks. I'm currently under the care of a psychiatrist, a psychotherapist, and a midwife. My questions are, number one, can the insurance company use my pregnancy against me to further stop slash deny my benefits going forward? What to do if that's the case? Number two, assuming they continue to pay me my LTD benefits, can they force me to apply for EI maternity slash parental benefits at the time uh, when my baby is born and then stop my LTD payments? How does that work? And then finally, number three, Viva says, uh, assuming they continue to pay me LTD benefits and I haven't applied nor receiving EI maternity parental benefits, and they stop my benefits later on, let's say in a year or so. At that time, I wouldn't even qualify for EI maternity, paternity, uh, parental leave, pardon me, due to not having enough insurable hours. What do I do then? Do I have a legal claim against them? Concerned about my situation here, not sure how to navigate this. Your advice would be greatly appreciated. Three good questions. Very good questions. Uh-huh. And, you know, we're going to break this down. Albert, mm-hmm. how about if I take the first one and then you take the next one? Does that work? That's great. Yeah. Okay. So the first question, can the insurance company use my pregnancy against me to further stop or deny my benefits right. going forward? And what do I do if that's the case? No, they cannot use that against you. That's not to say that they won't try. This is very important to understand. Insurance companies can't do many things, but they try or they think they can. And that's when we get involved. 
you know, I have seen situations where the insurance company, even though they agree initially that the person is disabled because of one condition or another, once there is something else like a pregnancy, they suddenly shift and say, well, now we think that it's no longer the mental health issues that are disabling you. It's the pregnancy. I think that's a ludicrous position to take. And I think that when they take that kind of a position, they're exposing themselves potentially not only to a claim for the actual benefits they owe this lady, but potentially to punitive damages. Because there is just no way in the world that a judge would agree with them if this mm. ever went to court. And it would not. I guarantee you this case would not go to court. There is no way a judge would agree with them that they can simply willy-nilly just switch you know, and say that, oh, we don't think you're disabled anymore, even though we think you were disabled before, just because you're now pregnant. If anything, the pregnancy is probably aggravating the situation, right? I mean, <laughs> it's very difficult to be pregnant. I'm not a woman, but, uh, you know, I, ha I do have a few kids, so I I've been through the process with my wife and other people. This is very, very tough. And you're talking about post-pregnancy as well, postpartum depression. There's other issues potentially can arise. So I think an insurance company, if they dare... Uh, cut this lady off benefits as a result of her pregnancy or anything related to that, I think they are opening themselves up to a huge claim for mm -hmm. aggravated and punitive damages. Albert, I think uh, next question is, uh, uh, if they do continue to pay benefits, can they force her to apply for EI maternity or parental benefits? Yeah, so I mean, most most of these insurers these days are getting quite crafty and they basically have these provisions which say that if you're entitled to any other benefits uh, or any sort of government support that you need to apply for it and some of them have even gone so far as to say if you don't apply for these uh, forms of government support or these government funds that they can estimate how much you would have got right. and then reduce your monthly benefit by that estimate. And so generally speaking, I mean, every, every, everything always starts with a policy, right? So uh, without actually looking at your policy, it's very tough to say. But many of the policies today actually do say that you need to apply for EI sickness benefits or you need to apply for EI maternity benefits. So, I mean, without actually looking at your policy, once again, it's tough to say. But many of these policies today are getting quite crafty. And I wouldn't be surprised if there was a provision which mandated that you did need to apply for EI maternity benefits. And then if uh, basically how that would work then is if the amount that you're supposed to receive every month is more than that EI maternity benefit, then they simply sub subtract how much you would get from your EI maternity benefit from your monthly benefit amount. However, one last thing to consider is some of these policies actually state that while you're on maternity leave, you cannot receive any long-term disability benefits. And then usually once you're off that maternity leave, that's when that's when the long-term disability benefits will resume. All of this is a pretty long-winded way to say, we need to look at your policy. Everything is very mm -hmm. case by case. So send a copy of your policy. I'm happy to review it for free. It's something that we do all the time. And, and we, we can very quickly and easily tell you uh, what your rights are vis-a-vis -vis the policy. All right, number three, Savannah, what do you think? Number three here. Okay, so she writes, assuming they continue to pay me LTD benefits and I have not applied nor received EI maternity or parental benefits, can they stop my benefits later on? Um, and at that time, I wouldn't even qualify for EI maternity parental leave yeah. uh, because she didn't have insurable hours, enough insurable right. hours. So, you know, to Albert's point, 
we need to look at your policy. First of all, there's no reason, because I was in communication with her, by the way, with this lady subsequent to this email. And I can tell you, John, I told her, listen, there's no reason for you not to apply for EI maternity parental leave uh, for any of those benefits. Because the worst case that's going to happen here is you're not going to be out of money. The worst case that's going to happen here is that the insurance company is going to pay you whatever they're paying you less whatever EI is going to pay you. Again, subject again to what Albert said here about not being able to get LTD when you get EI maternity leave uh, uh, benefits. But the point is this. We don't listen. We don't deal with EI directly. We don't fight EI. We don't fight the government on that front. We fight insurance companies when insurance companies do something they're not supposed to do. And again, to Albert's point, everything starts and ends with the insurance policy at play. Not every LTD policy is the same. Many of them are very similar. They're usually group policies, and they apply to many employees of a company, for example. But there are differences in these policies, which is why it is crucial to look at the provisions of the policy. The insurance company cannot do something that is outside the bounds of the policy. For example, if the policy doesn't state what Albert mentioned, if it doesn't say that they're allowed to deduct or reduce your LTD amounts by EI, for example, well, then they can't do that. They cannot do that unless there is an all-encompassing provision that says that they're entitled to reduce your LTD by any amounts that you get from the government. But again, we look specifically at the provisions. And, and again, to, to, to a participant at the Q&A that I did yesterday, uh, I, I mentioned and I said this. If at any point the insurance company tells you, we are going to reduce your LTD monthly amounts by X, Y, and Z for whatever reason, whether it's CPP disability, whether it's EI, whether it's severance, whatever it is, Okay, across the board, as a general rule, ask your adjuster to show you where in your LTD policy it states that they are allowed to reduce your monthly LTD right. benefits by that amount. Because if it doesn't say that, they cannot do it. And if there is an ambiguity, then we can work around that ambiguity and argue that the insurance company is not allowed to do so. So very, very important to understand. So you know, again, to this lady's questions, you know, there are many things here that you know interplay, and which which is why we tell people, as Albert said, we want to look at your LTD policy, and if you don't have a copy of it, ask your insurance company; they'll give it to you. They should be giving it to you. You have a right to it. So very important to understand. Uh, this is an excellent question, John, because uh, we have these kinds of issues come up all the time, and oftentimes we can give general information. But again, we, we start and we end with the wording of the specific policy that we're dealing with for the individual we're speaking with. Is it one of those cases with the uh, with the benefit um, that this person's talking about, you know, if they get the benefit and they get cut off LTD, is it similar to um, CPP disability? So you will apply for it, and if you do end up getting it and the insurance cuts you off their benefit, at least you'll have some sort of income? Is that kind of a mirrored, mirrored thing? It sounds like it would be similar to that, no? Well, yeah, I mean, they are separate, obviously, right? right? I mean, if you're applying for EI because she's on maternity leave, uh, she should be getting it. It's irrespective of LTD, right? Right. Uh, so, so, I mean, it, 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 there is some interaction be, be, you know, between some of these schemes, and it depends also on the province uh, because different provinces mm -hmm. have different rules sometimes depending on the scheme, depending on the policies. Uh, but it does depend. It really does depend, which is why we tell people, we can give you this general information, which we try to do, and give you context with these questions that are being sent to us. Right. But if you have a specific question about your situation or someone you know that is in that situation, the best advice I can give you is to give us a call or email us because we'll talk to you for free. We'll give you this information for free. Uh, so at least you're informed and you understand what your rights are. Again, reaching out to one 855 
800-821-5900, help at disabilityrights.ca. Okay, that's taken care of from Viva. Where do you want to go now, guys? Let me let me read you an email that I received this week. Awesome. This one comes from Colette, and she writes, I've been on LTD since May of 2021. I've just completed an eight-week program with, uh, uh, she mentions the clinic, mm-hmm. uh, paid for by my LTD insurance company. My kinesiologist and physiotherapist at the health clinic have already started the discussion about gradual return to work sometime in November or December of this year. Well, we're already in November here. Right. I suffer from debilitating neck pain 24 hours a day, seven days per week for almost two years now. My sessions with both therapists have, been, have given me little to no improvement as far as range of motion goes. The degree in pain has not changed at all. Therefore, I know that I cannot go back to work until my level of pain is significantly diminished. I followed every course of treatment prescribed by my physician over the last year and a half, including seeing a doctor at a private pain clinic paid out of pocket. So he's paying for it. She's paying for it. I'm not sure that my doctor, my GP, understands the degree of pain that I'm in. My GP tells me that studies show that going back to work and getting into a routine is good for a person. On the other hand, my pain doctor understands how debilitating my pain is, and he's willing to explain this to my LTD insurer when the time comes. Who has the final say? I know I can't work without a reduction in pain. What can I do to ensure that the focus of treatment from my health clinic, from my insurance company, and my physician, my GP, is on pain reduction and not on a speedy return to work? This is a very interesting scenario here. Um, and, you know, it's interesting to me because you now have two treating doctors that essentially say two things that may be contradictory. First of all, she obviously, I mean, from what we can read here, she's in tremendous pain and it's not going away anytime soon. You know, when we're talking about going back to work, we always tell people, listen to your doctors. But in this situation, she has two doctors that are telling her potentially two different things. The family doctor who's saying, no, it's a good thing to try and go back to work. And the pain doctor who specializes in pain, right, in chronic pain, who understands what's going on here and is taking the opposite view. Look, if the pain doctor's diagnosis, prognosis, uh, viewpoint jives with the individual's feelings about their own body and how they're feeling and what their capacity is, then I would Mm -hmm. say follow whatever the pain doctor is telling you because clearly that... Uh, is parallel to what you are sensing, what you're feeling, and perhaps your GP is not fully there, doesn't fully understand where you're coming from. Uh, and, and that's not to say that the GP is a bad person, it's just that some doctors are more attuned uh, to their patients. And in this case, we're dealing with a family practitioner, a general practitioner, versus a pain specialist. So to me, the pain specialist trumps here. The problem is that when the insurance company ends up getting the records from the GP and from the pain specialists, they're going to cherry pick and they're probably going to take the notes from the GP where the GP says, yeah, she should be able to go back to work and try to compel her to go back to work or try to do a return to work program, a gradual return to work program. And that's my concern here. And so what I would tell her, my advice would be, make sure that you get your pain doctor to provide a report that explains in detail why in his or her expertise and opinion, you are not ready to try and return to work program, if that's in fact the case. Yeah. And, and you know, if the insurance company does decide to cherry pick from whatever the medical records that they have and says, no, we're going to rely on the general practitioner here, even though that's not the correct thing here from what I can gather, 
then I would tell her, come to us, because at that point, the insurance company will likely take a run at her and try to cut her off benefits, which is simply not correct in this instance. But this does happen, and people do ask mm -hmm. me sometimes. In fact, I've gotten, I think, two, uh, two, two, two queries just this past week, people telling me, I have doctors, but my doctors are not listening to me. Well, then change doctors. Change, if they're not listening to you, change doctors. Right? I mean, what else can yeah. you do? And if you're in a situation where you have no other option, there are no doctors in the area, listen, with COVID, as bad as COVID has been and the disaster that it's brought in the whole world, it's also opened up some doors. Uh, there are a lot of clinics and doctors now who can take virtual appointments. So you're not necessarily confined by your geography. Uh, so, so take a look at that option. But again, if your doctor is not listening to you, then that's a problem, right? Because the worst thing that you can do, I think, is try to go back to work before you are ready because you're only going to regress and it's only going to hurt you. Albert, do you have anything to add on that? He will, but we got to do it after a break. Ah, okay. So <laughs> hang on to that, Albert, and we'll uh, remind me to get right back to it. In the meantime, one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. the number any time to reach out, mydisabilityquestions.com, and the email address, always use it, just did, help at disabilityrights.ca. We'll continue. Disability Law Show. Hang on. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Welcome back. Disability Law Show. Savan Tamark and co-founding partners, Sam Firu Tamark and LLP. Reach out anytime across the country. Get the compensation you're des you deserved. Most positively reviewed disability law firm uh, in the country as well, which is pretty cool. So reach out 1-855-821-5900. You'll want a private conversation with Albert or Savannah, a member of their team. That's how you do it. Uh, questions frequently asked type ltdfaq.ca there's a, a free website you can use just put together in the last couple months super handy and then the email address always help at disabilityrights.ca uh, just to circle back Albert we just uh, took a short break but I know you wanted to comment on what uh, Savannah was talking about so maybe just reset the table and uh, give us your two cents pal yeah absolutely so I mean in the context of whether or not you should you should actually be seeking a doctor that does support you. And if your doctor is not supporting you, you absolutely need to try and find someone who will. There's really no substitute for having a doctor actually endorse the fact that you can't work if, in fact, you can't work. And so, actually, I was at a mediation not too long ago where I was meeting with the insurance company, had my client there, and we were seeing if we could bridge the differences uh, between how much my client needed in order to uh in order to look after herself and how much they or how little the insurance company was prepared to pay and so one of the things the insurance company raised at that mediation was that my client had switched family doctors and they said they said well you're just shopping for doctors and my response to the insurance company was that of course my client's going to shop for doctors her, her initial doctor wasn't supportive and she actually took it upon herself to now find a doctor who was going to support her, who was going to get her on the right treatment plan. And so I don't think that's a bad thing to do ever. The second that you do realize or recognize that your doctor's not supporting you, it's hurting you the longer that you stay with that particular doctor. So, I mean, obviously it's easier said than done to just go out and find a family doctor. And I totally get that. There's a lot of wait lists. It can be very difficult to find someone who you feel comfortable with. I get that. But... If you find that your doctor is doing more damage than good, 
you absolutely need to get out of that situation and find yeah. someone who will support you. And it's not a bad thing. I mean, it, it generally to the insurance company, it's going to look like you care about your claim and you're doing everything you can under your power to try and get better. And that's certainly the spin that we put on it. And absolutely, if you ever want to talk about whether or not in your particular situation you should be switching doctors or based on what your doctor is prepared to say, whether or not you should be looking elsewhere, absolutely, give us a call. Happy to discuss it. John, Again, I that, wonder, yep, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. Sorry, pal. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to get okay. the phone number quick, one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. as Albert uh, just threw it out there. Uh, what's, uh, what are you going to say, Simon? I was going to say that the idea of shopping for doctors, um, I just want to be clear on this. Uh, what Albert's saying and what I'm saying is not that you should simply shop for a doctor that is going to advance your legal case. That's not the issue here. You need to go to a doctor or shop for a doctor, okay, if we want to use that crass term, yeah. uh, phrase, uh, who's going to support you medically, medically, because many doctors, uh, again, they, you have to, you have to, you have to understand that just like, you know, some people would not work well with lawyers, with certain lawyers or with accountants or, or you know, other professionals. It's the same thing with doctors. That's why we get second and third opinions from doctors. You know, I'm looking, by the way, right now at an article online that was written in 2017 uh, by a prominent newspaper. And here's the title of the article, Hired Gun in a Lab Coat, How Medical Experts Help Car Insurers Fight Accident Claims. Now, this is about car insurance, but it's analogous to disability insurance. Right. It's very ironic to me, Albert, that the insurance company in your mediation was uh, alleging here that your client was shopping for doctors essentially to advance your legal case when insurance companies, when they hire doctors to assess claimants, they're shopping for those doctors. In fact, we call these defense doctors. And that's why that article here, it talks about a hired gun. I'm quoting from the article, hired gun in a lab coat. <laughs> now, that's not to say that these doctors are not good doctors, but many doctors are, in fact, hired guns by insurance companies. And we do have cases, legal cases, where judges have called out these kinds of doctors who routinely provide opinions on behalf of insurance companies, irrespective of what the actual factual and objective evidence is. Yeah. So when we tell people that you should be uh, finding a doctor that supports you, it's not for your legal case. It could help your legal case, but that's not the issue. It's for your medical situation. If your doctor is not listening to you, you should be going to a doctor that would and should listen to you. Want to start in this email, guys? We'll probably answer part of it and then have to come back from a break. But this one from William writes in, says, uh, guys, I've been on LTD for over a year. Due to the uh, due to COVID, the surgery I need to go back to work has been delayed on October 13th. Uh, this past year, 2021, my employer instructed my insurance company to cancel my benefits, even though my premiums are covered by a premium waiver in my policy. What recourse do I have? So this is an interesting question here, and Albert, we'll see what you think about that too. But my gut sense is this. Uh, first of all, the employer cannot do that. Second of all, when, when people hear about this uh, waiver of premium, what that means is that when you apply for long-term disability, um, it, I mean, you're applying under a policy for which premiums were paid, no different than premiums for your house insurance policy, car insurance policy, etc. Yeah, when you become disabled uh, and you are approved by the insurance company for your disability, that triggers a, a waiver of premiums, meaning no premiums need to be paid going forward while you are on that policy. 
In this case, it appears that this individual's employer instructed the insurance company to cancel his benefits. What I don't understand is if he means that to cancel his actual LTD amount, meaning the monthly benefits, or to cancel coverage altogether. I don't really understand that. But the employer should never, ever uh, interfere in the relationship between the insurance company and the individual. And the reason why this is an important question here is because you know, John, we talk about the fact that we're disability lawyers. I'm a disability lawyer, Albert is, other people on our team, but there is a, a very large part of our law firm, again, in all three jurisdictions, Ontario, BC, and Alberta, that deals with employment-related issues. And oftentimes, we see this interplay between employment law and disability law. And so in this case, it's possible that the employer did something very, very wrong, from what I can see, and it's possible that there is recourse here against the employer if any damage is in fact caused to the relationship between the insurance company and the individual. Uh, not many firms can say that they, they have two practice areas that are their focus. Some, for, you know, some law firms will say that, but we actually, if you go on our website, you'll see we, we deal specifically with employment law and disability law. Uh, and this is one of those examples where really in this case, we may have to trigger, uh, or to trigger, but actually contact one of our lawyers that deals with employment law to, to, to provide advice to this individual. A few minutes to go. We'll uh, take a short break and get to that. So stand by. 1-855-821-5900. Help at disabilityrights.ca as well. It's the Disability Law Show. Stand by. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. All right, welcome back. A few minutes to go. Disability Law Show. Savannah Tamark and Albert Klein here, ready to take your calls when the show is over. Get some information, have a chat. Uh, there's no commitment, just uh, get a little more understanding with your matter because these things can be very stressful and uh, difficult to, to navigate for sure. one 821 5900 help at disabilityrights.ca. And for more questions and answers, free and anonymously, you can ask those at mydisabilityquestions.com, which is where this came from from uh this one from tony tony says guys i'm an ltd doing an illness since the beginning of 2021 and i'm getting monthly payment support now my employer has put me into this job search program and i'm doing the program for a few weeks now they're teaching me to fix my resume reassess my transferable skills so i can look for other jobs or apply for a work from home job that i can do either uh, even with my health condition my question is am i supposed to work or forced to work after the program Am I still going to receive LTD monthly payment support after this program? What exactly is my situation with this? Thank you. So, th- th- thanks for emailing in. Uh, gen- generally speaking, I mean, for the first two years, under most standard policies, and I'm assuming that your policy is a standard one, you're supposed to be covered in the event that you cannot do the tasks of your own job. So really, they can't be forcing you to do other jobs prior to that two-year period actually elapsing. And so you're on LTD since the beginning of 2021. Technically speaking, if you, due to your illness, can't do your job from 2021 to 2023, the insurance company is supposed to be covering you. There's a concept called mitigation, which generally says that you're supposed to try to minimize your losses to whatever extent that you can. So, I mean, really a lot of this is probably going to boil down to your own functionality. 
I mean, they can't force you to go to a different job, uh, especially while you're in the own occupation period. And just generally speaking, no one can force you to do another job. And it should always depend on what is your functionality. If you don't feel capable of returning to your job or a different job, even in spite of doing this job search program, you shouldn't return. You might risk actually exacerbating your condition or making things worse. And so if that's the case, you want to make sure that you speak to your doctor about what what the state of your functionality is and what the insurance company is trying to tell you to do. If they are telling you you have to return to work or or join or or take a different job after this job search program, speak to your doctor about it and just have an open conversation about where you're at. If you're not feeling capable and ready and able to work, then absolutely you shouldn't. And if you don't feel capable of returning to either your own job or a different job, absolutely the insurance company should be maintaining your uh, long-term disability payments. And I'm hoping that at a very minimum during this job search program that they have maintained your long-term disability payments. I mean, I've seen many, many instances, and it's very unfortunate, where they'll cut someone off and just ask them to engage in a job search program, basically trying to force their hand. And essentially what they're doing is they're trying to starve you out. So if that's the case, absolutely give us a call. They should not be doing that because it's clear that you can't do your own job and they should be paying you at a very minimum for that two-year period. John, uh, we actually have... We actually have a memo on the uh, website you had mentioned earlier, ltdfaq.ca, specifically dealing with return to work, and it answers basic questions uh, that people generally have about those issues. Uh, and one of the words that we often hear and we focus on is people say, I'm being forced. I'm being forced to go back to work. I'm being forced to, to do this or do that. Remember, no one can force you to do anything. They can try and compel you by threatening that they'll withdraw benefits, stop benefits. Um, that's usually what, you know, the stick that they carry. But you have rights. Remember that. I keep emphasizing this. You have rights. And as Albert said here, they have certain obligations under the insurance policy. They can't simply walk away from those. They can't bend those obligations. They can't ignore those obligations. That's why we need to look at the policy. And when we look at the policy and we look at your situation and we tell you what your rights are, at that point, you will be empowered and you'll actually feel empowered. Because one of the things that we see a lot, we hear a lot from people, is they feel powerless against insurance companies. And I'm telling you as somebody who used to work, I started my career working for insurance companies. It is a bluff. Insurance companies want you to think you're powerless, but they don't make all that, all those billions of dollars by fighting every single claim tooth and nail and taking it all the way to trial. It's way too expensive for them. They are doing it on the basis of fear fear and they create a mirage out there they create this this idea that there's no way you can take us on nonsense nonsense you just have to google you know court cases against insurance companies you see how many times insurance companies have been hammered by courts by judges in the states in canada in europe everywhere but people don't understand that and they think they have no rights which is why as soon as you educate yourself as soon as you find out what your rights are you will feel empowered and at that point you can make the correct decision for yourself and for your family on how to proceed on a case. 
Yeah, guys. I mean, as we wrap up here for another day, we often encourage people just to uh, just to reach out, and and they they really should do that. Take the time to do so. Get your uh, get your stuff in order before you make that phone call. And even if you don't want to pick up a phone yet, you can go to mydisabilityquestions.com, that website that Savannah and the team put together. It's free. It's anonymous. It's also got a searchable database, which means your question. It's quite uh, possible, if not likely, that it has been asked in the past. A similar one, anyway. You can search it and simply read the complete answer there. If not, leave your question at mydisabilityquestions.com and the team will answer it. So that's free and anonymous. Requires no more effort than a keyboard. Then if you want to make that phone call, that's always advised. Again, as Albert said a few times during the show, there's uh, there's no commitment. Just have a chat. Get some understanding. one 821 5900 is the way and I'll give you the email address as we uh, wrap for another show. Help at disabilityrights.ca. Again, help at disabilityrights.ca. If you want to see us on TV, always an option. That is disabilityrights.ca, the uh, media tab there as well. And we'll catch you next time on the Disability Law Show. The preceding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto.